This is Speaking of Writers on Capital Region Sunday. I'm Steve Richards. This year marks 200 years since the birth of Frederick Douglass, the escaped slave who became one of the greatest orators and writers of his generation, a leading abolitionist and political activist of the 19th century, and one of the most significant figures in American history. The book is Frederick Douglass, Prophet of Freedom, a definitive biography by Douglass by, by prize-winning historian David Blight. Based on nearly a lifetime of research, as well as letters and papers housed in a private collection, which no biographer has previously referenced, Blight's masterpiece is the first major biography of Douglas in a quarter century and offers new insight into the life and legacy of one of this country's most towering figures. David Blight is the class of 1954 professor of American history at Yale University and director of the Gilder Lehrman Center for the Study of Slavery, Resistance, and Abolition. At Yale, Blight works in many capacities in the world of public history, including on boards of museums and historical societies. He's a member of the American Academy of Arts and Sciences. Blight is the author of annotated editions with introductory essays of Frederick Douglass's second autobiography, My Bondage and My Freedom, Robert Penn Warren's Who Speaks for the Negro, the monograph American Oracle, The Civil War and the Civil Rights Era, and A Slave No More, Two Men Who Escaped to Freedom, including their own narratives of emancipation. Blight is also the author of Race and Reunion, The Civil War in American Memory, which received the Bancroft Prize, the Abraham Lincoln Prize, and the Frederick Douglass Prize, among other awards. Happy to have David Blight join me here on Speaking of Writers. Welcome. Thank you very much, Steve. Good to be here. So, David, you worked on this book for 10 years, but first began researching Douglass as a Ph.D. student. What drew you to Douglas? Well, I was first drawn to Douglas when I was actually a high school teacher in the 1970s. I taught for seven years in a public school in my hometown of Flint, Michigan. And we were, in those days, just inventing black history courses. Uh, most of us didn't exactly know what we were doing, but Douglas was very much part of that. Um, I didn't even encounter Douglas in high school or college, uh, believe it or not. But then when I went to graduate school, I wanted to work on abolitionism, particularly black abolitionists, the coming of the Civil War, and that landed me on Douglas in part because he left by far the most sources and writing and material to work with. And so I ended up doing my dissertation uh, in the early 1980s on Douglas and the Meaning of the Civil War, which became my first book. So that's what that's what got me hooked, and uh, I thought I had Douglas out of my life after numerous uh, visits with him, uh, essays, editions, and so on and so forth, but it was encountering this extraordinary private collection owned by Walter Evans in Savannah, Georgia, in about 2006 that moved me rather quickly to this idea of attempting a new full life of Douglas. And uh, it took some time to commit to that, but I did, and hence spent about a, de a decade trying to write it. <laughs> Chatting with uh, David Blight here on Speaking of Writers, his new book is Frederick Douglass, Prophet of Freedom. Yeah, that private collection of Douglass papers that you mentioned, uh, this Walter Evans in Savannah, how did you come upon this collection and describe it a bit? I went to Savannah to give a talk on Douglas's narrative, his first autobiography, which I've done many times. 
the host was the Georgia Historical Society, and they told me there was a local collector who would like to go to lunch with us. So that's how I met Walter. And that very day, he took me over to his house. Uh, he owns a beautiful four-story home in Savannah that is chocked full of African-American rare books, manuscripts, and art. Uh, Walter is a is an African-American retired surgeon who grew up in segregated Savannah but went north for his higher education. Uh, he did medical school at the University of Michigan, and then he practiced in Detroit for over 30 years and started collecting in the 1970s. His Douglas collection is uh, is just extraordinary. The heart of it uh, are about 10 huge family scrapbooks that were kept by Douglas's sons, uh, thousands and thousands of newspaper clippings, lots of uh, other family documents, lots of family letters, and even photographs. And the important thing about that collection is that it provides a window, especially into the last third of Frederick Douglass's life. He lived till 1895, which means a full 30 years after the Civil War. And if most Americans know about Douglass at all, they tend to know the younger Douglass, the heroic escaped slave who writes his own story and writes himself into history and became the, the great traveling orator. And they might even know something of his story up through the Civil War. But that older aging Douglass who became a a patriarch of a huge extended family, most of which was dependent upon him, the the old radical outsider who became a political insider in Washington, D.C., and held three uh, bureaucratic uh, appointments uh, under the Republican Party, um, the kind of aging, uh, great symbolic leader uh, who has many, many rivalries with the next generation, um, and a man who faces that all those dilemmas of, of, as I said, the old radical outsider who becomes a political insider who has to make sometimes some deals and some pragmatic compromises. That, Douglas, uh, is what this collection, the Evans material, uh, illuminates as never before. And to some extent, it kind of took over the book for me because I, I increasingly found the older, the aging uh, Douglas uh, if anything, even more fascinating than the younger uh, uh, heroic Douglas, because what he faces in the latter part of his life are the the quite modern dilemmas of an aging radical who's become a kind of pragmatist in an age where he's trying to hold on to the victories and triumphs of the Civil War and of emancipation and the great Civil War amendments at the time uh, those triumphs are being betrayed and all but lost. Uh, so that that part of the story is, is if anything, uh, at least equally as interesting as the younger man. And uh, that's what that collection so illuminated. And I spent many, many, many weeks in Savannah uh, working in, the, in that collection right on the Evans's dining room table. Mm-hmm. Chatting with David Blight here on Speaking of Writers, his book is Frederick Douglass, Prophet of Freedom. Uh, Frederick Douglass, born in Maryland, 1818, lived his first 20 years as a slave. He escaped from slaveholders in Maryland in 1838. He made his way to New Bedford with his new wife. David, why New Bedford? 
Well, New Bedford uh, in the 1830s and 40s was known to be a, a refuge for fugitive slaves, uh, a safe haven to a great extent. It was a great whaling town. Yep. Uh, that that was really the heart of the American whaling industry, that and Nantucket. Um, but there were maritime jobs there. There was a, a very sizable fugitive slave community which protected itself. And uh, some of the first advice Douglas got when he escaped into New York City is go to New Bedford, and they did. And they will live three years there, the first three years in freedom he spends in New Bedford. That's where he very quickly chose his new name. His birth name had been Frederick Bailey, and he chose the name Douglas for uh, a hero, a character, in a Sir Walter Scott epic poem called Lady of the Lake. Uh, that that character's name was Douglas with one S. He gave it a second S for distinction. But there in New Bedford, Douglas both worked with his hands. He worked carrying whale oil casts. He did all kinds of jobs on the docks. He worked in a foundry. He did carpentry. He did whatever jobs he could do to put food on the table. But it was also there that he got very involved in the local black church, uh, an AME church in New Bedford, and it's there that he actually started uh, to be a formal preacher. Uh, they realized this this kid, this very young guy of 20, 21, 22, had a gift, had an ability to get up and 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 and, and give give orations or sermons, and that is where he, in effect, was discovered uh, by some a Massachusetts abolitionist, white abolitionist, and they invited him to come to a major anti-slavery convention out on Nantucket Island in August of 1841. And that connection led immediately to him being hired, so to speak, although he was never paid very much, as an itinerant lecturer uh, among William Lloyd Garrison's Massachusetts Anti-Slavery Society. And and by 1841-42, he was traveling all over New England and then all across the North um, as a as a traveling abolitionist. And it's there that he began to hone this ability as an orator. He wasn't a born orator. He didn't come out of slavery as a perfect orator. But this is where he began to practice it day in and day out and to levy this withering critique of American slavery like few others could uh, and again, I stress that he's a very young man when he starts doing that. Frederick Douglass, the most photographed American of the 19th century, and it's likely that more Americans heard Douglass speak than any other yes. public figure of his time. He wrote three autobiographies that were instant classics as well. David, how would you characterize Douglass's legacy today? Well, above all, Douglass's legacy is in his words. That may seem uh, rather formal or academic, but it's not. Uh, we are talking about Douglas because of the millions of words that he wrote and spoke, 1,200 pages of autobiography, hundreds and hundreds of political editorials in his newspaper, which he edited for 16 years, and then the thousands of speeches that he delivered from the early 1840s right until the end of his life, his oratorical career spanned more than 50 years, and he wrote some of the most memorable and important and poignant uh, speeches of the 19th century, for that matter, of all of American history. 
he really survives in words. He had a genius with language. And indeed, he had a prophetic genius with language. And I, I use that word prophet in the title of the book very carefully. But Douglas did have that kind of capacity with words that prophets do, that, that ability to find the sentence or the paragraph, to find the language, to capture the meaning of a great event, a pivot in history, a catastrophe, a disaster, or a triumph. He had that ability to explain America's you know, most fundamental dilemmas with slavery and race and then with the war and emancipation and the aftermath. That ability with words that most of us do not have, but when we read them or hear them, they they whack us right between the eyes with a sense of recognition. And then there's his leadership uh, or his legacy as simply a um, a devoted, uh, enduring uh, social activist. He believed in social movements. He believed in demanding from power. Uh, a moral point of view in demanding from power uh, a change uh, of the heart and of the mind and of the law. Uh, so whenever we look for the earliest prototypes of those great protest leaders who found the language to demand that America live up to its creeds, there is really no better place to start, at least, in the 19th century than with Douglas. And in your words, quote, there is no greater voice of America's terrible transformation from slavery to freedom than Douglas's. David Blatt. Well, yes, I'll stand by that. <laughs> <laughs> the book is Frederick Douglass, Prophet of Freedom. Thank you so much for joining me. Okay, thank you, Steve. And this is Speaking of Writers, and that's Capital Region Sunday, a production of Town Square Media Albany. By the way, you can get more info. David has a website, davidwblight.com. We'll be back again next week with another edition. I'm Steve Richards.